Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta, Pangarang and Kaerna country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today is Wednesday, the 1st of November. We always include a community service announcement, asking you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblob Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers. And he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist or particle physicist. So, let's zoom over to Adelaide now to get your sky guide from Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. Great to be talking with you again, Ian, and I can't wait to hear it. Can you tell us, mate, what's happening up in the sky for November? Well, there's a lot happening up in the sky for the month of November. I'll also talk about some things that are going to happen in December as well, because we're not doing a December sky guide. But first, as always, I'm going to start off with the moon. So the moon... November the 5th is the last quarter. This is also good for sky gazing in the evening. November 13th is the new moon, which is good for sky gazing the entire night. November the 20th is the first quarter moon, which if you've got a pair of binoculars on you is very good for moon gazing. November the 27th is the full moon. The moon is at apogee on November the 7th and at perigee when it's closest to the Earth on November the 22nd. So use those moon times to bracket when you want to be looking at either A, planets, or B, uh, deep sky objects. Cool. Now, the signal event of this month is going to be the opposition of Jupiter. Talk about that shortly. So what was also happening this month is Mercury is returning to the evening sky. I only start being really visible about mid-month although on the 14th, Mercury is close to the thin um, crescent day old moon. It's going to be quite low in the twilight. You'll need a fairly level horizon to see this and probably binoculars to be able to see the thin crescent moon and Mercury maybe be overwhelmed by the twilight's light. However, by the end of the month, uh, Mercury is going to be easily visible 60 minutes after sunset in the western sky, that nautical twilight. It's just going to be below the lid of the teapot of Sagittarius, so it's going to be quite nice. Very nice. I'll just remind you that Mars is lost in the twilight, um, and but it will return to the morning skies in January of 2024. Saturn has been gracing our skies for some time, um, and it's now beginning to sink westward into the evening skies. So Saturn's at its highest due north, around about 7 p.m. local time which is, well, it's still in twilight, but it's still an excellent sight in even small telescopes. It's the brightest object between the stars Altair and Fomalu. And on the 20th, 
Saturn is near the first quarter moon. Uh, it'll be only three degrees away. That's about three finger width. So it'll look very nice. You won't be able to get it into uh, a telescope field of view, but you should be able to get it into a binocular field of view. And, uh, and even though you won't be able to see the rings properly in binoculars, you'll sure. be able to see that Saturn itself will be a very elliptical object. And you'll be able to see the craters along the uh, ter the night dark uh, terminator of the moon looking very nice indeed. Mm. Now, for those of you who have telescopes, on the 23rd, Saturn is at eastern quadrature. And what that means is that Saturn is at a 90-degree angle to Earth. And this is when it's casting the maximum shadow on Saturn's rings. So Saturn, the um, planet itself, will be casting a very dramatic shadow over the, uh, its rings. It will be very good to see. Yep. Now, back to Jupiter. Uh, again, I'll remind you that Jupiter is at opposition on the third, but it's biggest and brightest as seen from Earth. Now, because Jupiter is so far away and because it's so big, there's really not too big a difference between the non-opposition Jupiter and Jupiter at opposition. But this year, it's a very good opposition, and so Jupiter will be quite significantly large, unlike the opposition of Mars, where you've only got a few weeks to see Mars at its, at its biggest and brightest. Uh, Jupiter's opposition it lasts it is, uh, because, the again, because it's so far away, the difference between the very moment of opposition and the next few days or weeks isn't very big. So you'll be having plenty of time to see Jupiter as it's uh, uh, its most one of its most favourable aspects. Nice. Now, Jupiter's uh, rising around about 8pm local time uh, at the beginning of the month and by about 6pm by the month's end. It'll be best late at night when it'll be at its highest. Sorry, you will have to stay up past about 10 o'clock to see this. Uh, you can see it much earlier. I, I was uh, out and uh, catching it uh, uh, early uh, yesterday evening, but it's still best when it's much, much later, around about midnight or so at the moment. By the time uh, you're looking at it in November, about between 10 to 11 p.m. Will, will be the best times to see it. Of course, you can still see Jupiter in the morning if you're getting up early in the morning, and it will be looking uh, quite bright uh, on the western horizon. And, and Jupiter is very obvious. It's going to be the brightest object, aside from the moon, above the eastern and northeastern horizons. Yep. But if you're still having trouble working out if the bright golden object you're looking at the east to northeast is Jupiter, on the 25th, Jupiter will be only two degrees from the waxing moon. And again, this will uh, look very nice in binoculars or low power telescopes. And in binoculars, uh, you'll be able to see the uh, Jupiter's moons at the same time as we'll be able to see our moon. Wow. So that, 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 that's, that's very nice. Now, uh, let's turn to the morning sky. Venus is high in the morning twilight. It's going this month from half moon to give us shape in the telescopes. So it's visible for about an hour before sunrise. And this month, it doesn't really change in height very much, even though it's gone past its greatest uh, elongation from the sun and it's beginning to move westwards. It still stays about 11 degrees, about two hand spans above the horizon at nautical twilight. It makes it very easy to see. 
On the 10th, Venus is four degrees from the crescent moon, which makes it very nice indeed. And on the 30th, you'll, as you'll see, Venus is about four degrees from the bright star speaker. Of course, uh, from about mid-month, you'll be able to see Venus coming closer and closer to the bright star speaker, which is the blue-white star, which is the brightest star in Virgo. And you'll see it uh, come up quite nicely. The star, the star and Venus move towards it. Uh, the other thing that occurs in the morning sky is the occultation of Beta, of Beta Tauri, which is the second brightest star in Taurus. Now, this occurs around astronomical twilight on November the 29th, and it can be seen in the southern cities, uh, Adelaide, Melbourne, Hobart and Perth. It will be a really nice little occultation. Beta Tauri is, a, is uh, brighter than second magnitude, so it's uh, very obvious. It won't really be washed out by the the light of, of, the, of the nearly full moon. Now, if this is going to go out before the morning, the uh, morning of the 29th, I'll just remind people that we've got the occultation of the Pleiades are happening on the morning of the 29th. Yep. So let's move on to what's happening with the stars. So Scorpius has been a companion for many uh, months now, but its reversed question mark is beginning to sink below the western horizon. Mercury, as I was saying before, is going to be bright later in the month, and you'll see it climbing the question mark of Scorpius. And Sagittarius has departed the zenith, and it's now low on the western horizon, so no longer a, a good hunting ground for clusters. On the eastern horizon, we begin to see Orion, Canis Major, and the stars of Carina, Puppis, and Vila beginning to rise that you have to wait for it to be quite light, late in the evening sky to really see them and not really interesting until the end of the month. Of course, in December, you'll be able to see these a lot easier. Yep. Around 10pm local time, the Southern Cross will be almost due south in the sky. And for those of us in the north of Australia, the Southern Cross will actually be go behind below the horizon. However, the Lesser Magellanic Cloud uh, and the Magnificent Globular Cluster uh, 47-2 Canada that I mentioned in our last episode are now almost due south and quite high in the sky, in a very good position uh, under dark skies for observing. And if you have got dark skies uh, and you've uh, got your, tele your binoculars trained on the small Magellanic Cloud in 47-2 Canada, just a little bit up from uh, uh, 47 Ducana is a smaller dimmer globular cluster called NGC 362. Still, uh, still not bad. Uh, in binoculars, you might see it's a tiny fuzzy dot rather than the big uh, glob of cotton wool that is 47 Ducana. Now, Ducana uh, is named after the toucan of the uh, South American forest, not one of the classical uh, constellation names. But there's a number of, of interesting double stars in Tucana. So if you've got your binoculars trained uh, on Tucana, uh, well, the, the, not the Tucana, so on the um, Magellanic Cloud, and you're seeing 47 Tucana, then if you sweep up a little bit, about at one binocular field, you'll see the faint uh, double star Lambert Tucana, which is quite nice. Uh, 
And sweeping up a get by our further two binocular fields is the bright double star Beta Toucan, which is very nice to see. Yep. If you sweep east and a little down by the three binocular fields from 47 Toucana, there's the large Magellanic Cloud, which of course is our, uh, the other dwarf galaxy of the Milky Way, and with the really obvious iconic Tarantula Nebula and a wealth of clusters to explore. So that will give you lots to look at. And of course, in December, the large Magellanic Cloud gets even higher and it will repay your attention quite a bit. Now, I did say I'll say a couple of things about what's happening in uh, December and also January. So Earth is at solstice on December the 22nd. Venus is close to the crescent moon on December 10, looking very nice. Jupiter is close to the moon on December 22, which is also very nice. Uh, the new year, for those of you who are camping out, if you're looking at the morning dusk sky, you've got a nice lineup of Venus, Mercury, and Mars and the thin crescent moon. Of course, if, you, if you're getting up early to go fishing, then that will be excellent. If you're getting up early because the kids are kicking you awake, that's not so nice, but you'll have something nice to look at while you're trying to get to, to <laughs> calm them down before you go back to sleep. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Now, one more thing is the iconic meteor shower, the Geminids. I should also mention that uh, November is also the, the month of the Leonid meteor shower. The Leonid meteor shower this month is going to be rubbish. Don't bother getting up. No. But if you're patient enough to uh, wait until uh, 2033, in another 10 years' time, then we should see uh, some more outbursts of the Leonid meteor shower with up to 500 meteors an hour. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I hope to be still around in ten years' time. <laughs> but whether or not whether or not I can get up on the night in order in order to watch meteors is another thing entirely. There's always something to look forward to up there, Ian. There is always something to look forward to. Now, the Geminids this year is going to be particularly good. Amongst other things, last year we had the moon interfering with the Geminids. This year it's going to be a new moon, so it'll be quite nice. The peak of the meteors is on December 14th. Um, but for viewing from Australia, it's best on the morning of December the 15th, where you're going to see about a meteor every minute the further north you are, or every two minutes if you're down in the south. And it, of course, this is in uh, dark sky locations. If you're somewhere that's slightly brighter, you'll see slightly fewer. But even so, a meteor every minute is really nice. If yeah. you're uh, up 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 in the north, if you're down with Sydney, Adelaide, Canberra, we'll be seeing a meteor about uh, every one every a meteor every two minutes. Uh, again, uh, they don't come like clockwork. You'll see a flurry of them, and then there'll be a gap, and then you'll see another flurry, and there'll be a gap. But it's still worthwhile getting up from from you know, from about say one o'clock onwards. To watch the meteors, It'll, they'll start to. They, you won't see the maximum around about one o'clock. The meteor, the the the, the, the that radiant is still rising, but you'll see, uh, you'll see the meteors develop. And uh, the, the the Geminids are often bright and intensely coloured, and due to their uh, velocity, they're uh, relatively slow. You uh, uh, you tend not to see participants. Um, persistent trains, but you can see some really bright ones. So the Geminids are a really nice meteor shower. 
Fantastic. Put it in your calendar. And Ian, do you have a tangent for us? In the spirit of Christmas, I'm going to give you a ham-shaped pocket sundial. Now, pocket sundials have been a staple of cartoon comedy for almost as long as cartoon comedy has existed. You may want to think of the Flintstones or Asterix the Gaul, uh, but port pocket portable sundials are really a thing. We know about 25 portable sundials that survived from the Roman world, and the vast majority of those are some variant of a disc, which is you know, kind of boring. However, I've just recently discovered, thanks to a Twitter post by the historian uh, Gareth Harley, that there was a Roman portable sundial in the shape of a cured ham. Now, this was discovered in the city of Herculaneum. Uh, Herculaneum uh, was the sister city of Pompeii, which was destroyed in the uh, eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Ham was discovered in 1760, of all things, but it was quickly identified as a pocket sundial because of its grid markings. And it's, it's one of the earliest known examples of a pocket sundial. The workings of this pocket pork clock were only recently worked out. And what happened was historians at the Wesleyan University used 3D printing to create a replica of the sundial, complete with its lost uh, gnomon. The gnomon's the part of the sundial that casts the shadow of the gnomon was present up until at least the 18th century before it got broken off. The gnomon was described as being in the shape of a pig's tail. Now, outdoor experimentation with this sundial confirmed that the device would be hung from a chain. A lot of the portable sundials were designed to be that. So if you hung it on a chain with the sun on its left side and allowing the pigtail to cast its shadow across the grid that was engraved upon its face, the vertical lines on the grid represented the months of the year and the horizontal lines indicated the number of hours before sunrise, before sunset or past sunrise. So uh, what someone would do would align the tip of the shadow to fall on the vertical column of the current month. Then they counted the number of horizontal lines from the top of the grid to the tip of the shadow to reveal the hour of the day. Uh, I should also point out that at this time, what they were using were unequal hours. So there was always the same number of hours between sunset and sunrise. But for summer, when you have uh, the, the, the uh, sunset to sunrise is longer than winter when sun, sunset to sunrise, the, the hours were longer. So one hour during summer was longer than one hour during winter, yep. which is very hard for our modern minds to comprehend. But again, uh, if you want to go into this in a bit more detail, uh, I highly recommend a book called The Light Ages, which discusses medieval astronomical instrumentation and these the concept, the shifting concepts of time, the transition between the unequal hours to the equal hours, uh, especially in the light of the church's liturgical cycle. It sounds also all very dry, but it's it's really interesting and involves a monk that travels all over uh, all over England and goes to Europe, and then comes back again and invents this amazing astronomical uh, device uh, and cribs half of his work of uh, Geoffrey Chaucer. Anyway, so that that that's that that's the sundial. It's actually quite good. It was, apparently it was accurate within a quarter of an hour. Wow. Which, 
again, 12 lines at you know, a quarter of an hour, that's that's huge. But yeah. in the ancient world, uh, uh, that kind of accuracy was more than what they more than what they needed. So uh, especially for a, a pocket, so if you if you wanted to be somewhere around about midday, uh, that would uh, or if you want to get me somewhere uh, uh, an hour before sunset, that would be far more than necessary. Uh, and now the question, of course, is why was it shaped like a hand? And it could be it's just it's a it's a you know, whimsical thing. Let's make a sundial that looks like a hand. <laughs> um, but it was also uh, this object was found in a villa that was packed with Epicurean symbolism. Now, the Epicureans were uh, a particular philo uh, philosophical group uh, that emphasised that, uh, amongst other things, life was brief, so you should enjoy your life as much as possible rather than being aesthetic and denying yourself joy. And one of their symbols was the hand. Why? I don't actually know this. <laughs> But I thought this was particularly interesting information. So there we have, in the spirit of Christmas, a Christmas ham-shaped pocket sundial. Fantastic, Ian. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Ian. Astro blog Musgrave. Some fantastic things to see up in the sky in November and December. Thank you very much for having me on. And... Thanks for everybody for listening, and I hope you all have a good November and uh, Christmas break, and I hope you uh, get to have a chance to look up and see some of the wonderful things we've got in our skies. Good night, mate. Good night, mate. Thank you very much again, and I hope you have a great time, and we'll see you in January. And remember, Astrophys is free, ad-free, and unsponsored. And in two weeks' time, we have a remarkable researcher for you. Professor Rebecca Davies is an Astro 3D postdoctoral researcher at the Swinburne University who uses spectroscopy data from our most powerful Earth and space-based telescopes to understand galactic outflows and how they impact on galaxy evolution. She's fantastic. Till then, keep looking up. Radio Wave.